KBTC, a viewer-supported community service of Bates Technical College. From KBTC Public Television Studios in Tacoma, Washington, it's the Northwest Now podcast. Each week, we take a closer look at the people and issues that affect all of us here in Western Washington. So sit back, relax, and join the conversation with your host, Tom Lason. Just as you were taking a breather from the midterm elections, here comes the 2023 legislative session. It's an odd number year, so that means we're strapping in for at least 105 days as a biennial budget is hammered out. Every .org under the sun has its wish list ready to go in a legislature where the Democrats control the House, Senate, and Governor's office. So what can we expect? That's the discussion next on Northwest Now. Abortion really isn't under any serious threat here in Washington state, but listening to a recent press conference convened by the state's legislative leadership, there's certainly the possibility that it might dominate the session. This, while the state spending is at an all-time high and a possible recession, is on the horizon despite forecasts of increasing tax receipts. So what's on the agenda? We're talking with leaders from both sides. Let's start with the Republicans and House Minority Leader J.T. Wilcox. First question I have for you is just a, an outsider as, asking an insider. When you're in the minority, what does preparing for session really look like? I mean, what can you do? Well, you'd be surprised. And uh, I think, first of all, you have to realize you can't just go out and implement an agenda. What you have to do is, in the back of your mind, know what your members want and uh, you know what parts of those might be compatible with what the majority wants. And uh, then as long as you can keep them back of mind, uh, you will find opportunities. I, I just tell people you launch these little ships out there on uh, day one, which is early January, and you never know 105 days later which ones you, know, <laughs> you might be able to reel in. I'm mixing my metaphors here. But uh, you have to be much more aware of the opportunities that arise rather than knowing that you can make your own opportunities. Let's talk about one of those ships, which is um, Power Washington. I know it originates on the Senate side, but, but um, I would say Senate you know, or House, or whoever the constituency uh, is, I think there's a considerable number of people, um, and possibly even moderate Democrats and progressives too, who are concerned about getting all electric fleet up and running on the state's highways by 2035, who are concerned about having natural gas available to them in their homes, who are concerned about having effective air conditioning in the summer as the, cli as the climate changes. So um, is that one of the little ships that you think that might go out and be able to find some common ground? What are you thinking about? Well, that? that's a lot more than a little ship. That's a big super tanker well, in a true. lot of ways. <laughs> yeah. And Mary Dye, our uh, House Republican lead on energy and the environment, has also uh, launched a plan called the ORCA plan. It was introduced last year. And we're not going to give up on that either. And, and that is, let's, let's look at the resources that are available, plan for the future to be sure that we have them, and uh, also uh, you know, use our revenues to make sure that we are you know, both sensible and renewable. And, and we're, we're choosing our objectives in a scope that we can actually accomplish uh, here. And I, I think you know, both House and Senate Republicans really believe in common sense conservatism and common sense conservation, which means you think through these things, you're not totally aspirational, and you make sure that they're going to work uh, within the resources that you have. 
So I'm not stranded on the side of the road is what you're saying with <laughs> some time. And, yeah. Well, yeah, and, and let me expand on that a little bit. Um, you know, first of all, we don't believe that there's this dichotomy, uh, that everything has to be binary, that you either uh, are all natural gas or no natural gas. There's a blend that makes sense. Mm -hmm. There's also a role for uh, hydrogen, most likely, and it turns out that you can blend hydrogen and uh, natural gas, and we've got some infrastructure that is capable of doing that. Uh, we also have some dams that are important, but at the same time we can develop other electrical resources as well. I know you could probably unfurl a long scroll here if you wanted to, but what are the maybe top one or two things that are on, on your agenda going in? Um, if you could say to yourself, boy, I'd really like to have a, an honest discussion about this and this, what are those things? <laughs> well, I think first of all, uh, an honest discussion about public safety. Uh, we, we need to get rid of the ideology in this. We need to recognize that every kind of person in the state of Washington wants to have a, a safe family, a safe place to live, uh, and a safe way to travel. And uh, we've done this in the past. We've been a very state, safe state in the past. We tore it down a little bit. Uh, let's figure out how we can bring all those people together and, and uh, promote public safety. So pursuits, for instance, a little more officer discretion in the field, is that something you'd like to Absolutely. say? Absolutely. And also uh, a little more money for uh, police as well, because we know that we are the least policed uh, state in the United States. And it's not because we don't have a need, we know that we've got increasing violence. So instead of talking about uh, defunding police, let's figure out how we can have better trained and more police in the places that we need them. Another area that uh, as you know, I've always cared about is let's have a rational conversation about our budget and also the means that are available uh, to build a budget. What's not to like? Revenues are going up. I look at the arrows. They're all pointing up, right? You, is, there's no concern about them rolling over. I'm being facetious here. Um, are you concerned about the sustainability of the state well, budget? Well, I'm always concerned. And, uh, you know, the challenge with an increasing budget, especially and revenues, especially when they increase quickly, is it's really hard to change gears. And the challenge is to change gears, you hurt a lot of people unless you have, have crafted a careful budget that understands that it's not going to be um, you know, a positive outlook every year. Every year, right. We gotta, we're run, probably going to be running somewhere around $80 billion a year. And we're the, in the nation, we're the 11th highest per capita spending state in, in the nation. Are, are we getting to a point, or can we see from here, a place where taxpayers need a break in Washington state? Well, uh, House and Senate Republicans have been saying that for a couple of years now. Uh, we have uh, huge growth in revenue. Uh, when it comes to the state budget, uh, you know, the bow wave has inflation built into it. So the government already has a way to cover uh, inflation in the cost of uh, government operations. And unless you give some of those dollars back to the uh, taxpayers of the state of Washington, they sort of come last in this whole equation. And, you know, we think that we're here for the people and they should come first. Um, big concerns, um, obviously, uh, between progressives and, and, and conservatives when it comes to the income tax. If the Washington Supreme Court comes through and says that, yes, capital gains um, or, or no, capital gains are not income and, they're, and therefore taxable, or which way would the decision have to go? I guess they would have to say that they are income and are therefore taxable. Are you concerned at all about um, a, a court ruling um, possibly paving the way for yet another run at an income tax at this state? Well, absolutely. 
And uh, I don't think there's anyone serious who's been observing politics in Washington for very long that doesn't believe that if uh, this tax becomes, uh, de de is declared to be legal, uh, then uh, an expansion of uh, this income tax on capital gains uh, is soon to come and uh, there will be a constant push to uh, expand revenues for the state of Washington. And you've already pointed out, we're one of the most well-funded states in the country already. Do you think there's any chance if that ruling came down, could that happen in this session? We're in the 105-day session, we're in the long one. Do you think it could happen? Or do you think, no, there's no possible way that even, even the Democratic Party could could get themselves organized in time to propose something like that. Well, let's let's define what this looks like. If this tax is found to be constitutional, uh, we will then have uh, a legal uh, tax uh, on um, income from capital gains. Right. So we will have that with absolutely no action on the part of the legislature. Uh, I've heard that they're saying that they wouldn't move forward with additional income taxes. Well, we've heard that before and uh, nobody can bind future legislatures, so would it be the year after or the year after that? But I think what's much more likely is uh, an expansion uh, of this uh, tax on uh, capital gains that would reach many more taxpayers and perhaps uh, increase the rate at which it's levied. So you're, you're talking about working its way down the income scale? Sure. Okay. I want to make sure I understand you correctly about yeah. how you possibly see that going forward. Um, a lot of discussion on the Democratic side, too, about a major um, slate of legislation when it comes to abortion and abortion rights. And if it was just one or two pieces of legislation, you'd say, okay, um, uh, that can be quickly managed. But again, it's, it's a, there are a lot of pieces that, um, that underlie that from protecting access to gender-affirming care and contraception and practitioners, in-state people, out-of-state people, geolocation, all kinds of things. Is there any kind of a concern at all that that could end up hijacking a session in which a biennial budget has to be hammered out? Or, or is one party ruled to the point where um, it's going to go quick anyway, so it's not a concern? Well, no, I don't take it for granted that things will go quick. Um, you know, and part of the job of the minority is to make sure that they don't go quick. Uh, we had a longtime caucus council that uh, once said, look, it's the right of the majority to pass what they want, and it's within the power of the minority to determine how long it takes. That's one of the things that you can do in the minority is slow things down. I think that's an important service that the minority can uh, provide. Um, you know, almost every year there is some kind of a of a litmus test on abortion. The people on both sides want to have some kind of a vote counter, and it's too bad that it gets politicized in that way. But it gets politicized from both sides. What what I would hope is that um, you know abortion is an issue on its own. Uh, I don't have a litmus test in the House Republican Caucus, and I don't know that everybody feels the same in the House Republican Caucus. But at the same time, let, let's not take the contentious nature of that debate and expand it into a whole bunch of parts of life. Right. Because really, if we're going to serve the public, it, it would be great if we could have ideology occupy, occupy a little smaller space rather than expanding it into everything. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think that circles back to a little bit about my question about it taking up, it's taking a, sucking a lot of the oxygen out of the room in this session. 
um, particularly when it you know doesn't really appear to be any you know, any particular threat in this state. Well, it absolutely uh, you know this state uh, decided uh, based on a vote of the public a number of years ago that uh, it was going to be a state that allows abortion, mm -hmm. and uh, the recent court case didn't make any change to that. Uh, in spite of the millions of dollars that were spent in campaigns to talk about that, I, I would uh, say that um, that discussion is a little bit moot right now. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, last question for you. I want to bring it back to law and order a little bit, something that you talked about maybe finding some common ground on. The Blake decision. Um, you know, I think we know on one hand we can't arrest ourselves out of the drug problem. Um, I think on the other hand, though, um, you know, we're seeing the results of a complete, um, you know, walking away from felony charges on possession and a lot of those kinds of things. Do you, do you see the Blake decision coming up in the legislature? Is it an area, do you think, that maybe um, progressives and, and conservatives can possibly um, come together on when they see the results <laughs> When, when they, we look at the streets? You know, when, when there's hardly a family in Washington that hasn't been touched by uh, some tragedy involving the use of drugs, often some of the most damaging drugs that there are, it, it's almost incredible to think that we can't depoliticize that and come to some common sense places that, that uh, recognize that uh, you're right, you can't arrest your way out of it. It's not purely a uh, public safety or a, or a police or prosecution question, but you can't, you can't take that out either. Yeah. And almost everybody has been around a family member who, you know, has, has been touched by drugs and by uh, the police or public safety, and, and a lot of them are alive because there was that interface. And, yeah. and I'm, I'm related to someone who I think has been very open in saying I'm alive because... Um, I was arrested, uh, I got clean, and then I was uh, asked to be in a program or told to be in a program. And to not have, you know, that as an option just seems crazy. Yeah, yeah. JT Wilcox, thanks so much for coming to Northwest Now. Well, thanks for having me. Joe Fitzgibbon represents the 34th District, including West Seattle and Vashon Island, and was just elected the new majority leader in the House. Joe, thanks so much for coming to Northwest. Now, I want to start out with a little perspective here. Democrats did well here in the state of Washington, picked up some seats. What's your reaction to that? How do you, how do you take that election? So I think we had a great election. We went into this election expecting to be on defense because that's historically where you are when your party is in the White House. You tend to be on defense in that first midterm election after uh, your party assumes the, the presidency. So we expected to be on defense. We were prepared for defense. Um, but I think we, our candidates and our incumbents did a really good job of defending the work that they've done. Uh, so we actually are coming back with uh, one additional seat in our uh, House Democratic Caucus. Senate Democrats picked up a seat as well. So I think that we really see that as a confirmation that if we haven't accomplished everything that we need to accomplish, that we're, we're working on the right things. I think the election also, to some degree, repudiated fringes on, on both sides. With that in mind, and from a good governance perspective, you've got the, the tri, trifecta going. How do you still govern well, though? In your leadership position, how do you still listen to the other party? What are your plans for that? How do you, how do you bring a little detente to the table? Yeah, well, I think you're right. I think that some of the most extreme voices, you know, election deniers and so forth, um, are not going to be coming back uh, to the House of Representatives. I think that will really help. Um, at, the, at the end of it, we all need to figure out how to listen to uh, the, the values, the perspectives, the priorities of the minority, and also recognize that the voters sent us to be, us Democrats, to be in the 
the majority. So I think we need to have good, honest uh, conversations with one another and also recognize that there are going to be differences of opinions, there are going to be different priorities, and, and that's okay. That's part of the process. Abortion has come up. It was part of the governor's press conference on legislative priorities going forward. I Correct me if I'm wrong. I really don't sense any great threat to it here in Washington state. But when you look at the list of legislation, I mean, it is long. Mm -hmm. It's not just necessarily codifying the right to, to health care, but there's lots of other pieces in there. As an outside observer, I, I think to myself, gosh, you know, this is the long session. This is our big chance for a biennial budget. Do you worry at all about that hijacking the session and, and turning around and finding out, gosh, guys, it's mid-April, time to do a budget. Mm -hmm. how, do you, how are you going to manage that as yeah. a House leader with so much political priority being put on that? Yeah, I definitely think that we can walk and chew gum at the same time. We can get more than one thing done in a long session. Um, not everybody's working on the same things. There's 98 House members, you know, all of them who will be working on their own priorities. I do think that some of the things that are uh, sort of the most imminent priorities for uh, protecting reproductive freedom, for example, protecting the privacy uh, of women using uh, apps to, to track their personal health, making sure that that information can't be shared for purposes of, of restricting reproductive freedom, particularly if they're from other states. I was going to say, now you're talking about other states there. Lay that that out for sure. us a little bit of what the threat is there. Sure, I think that we want to be sure that, uh, for example, uh, women who use apps to track their periods, that if they're in another state, that the, that, that state couldn't, for example, subpoena the company that uh, that owns that app and find out data about when uh, the menstrual cycle began and therefore whether or not uh, that woman had terminated her pregnancy. We want to be sure to protect against that happening. We also want to be sure that, uh, that, that women from other states where abortion has now been criminalized, that Washington is not uh, extraditing them is not sharing information that Washington medical providers are not uh, being required to share information with prosecutors in, uh, say, Idaho. So uh, those are a few things that I know are in the works. There's also a discussion around a constitutional amendment. I think, uh, you know, of course, we would need uh, bipartisan votes in both chambers to get that done. And so I think that's probably more of an uphill battle, but I'm sure that conversation is going to happen. Obviously, and I mentioned it uh, before, with the long session, you get to dig into <laughs> the biennial budget, which is... Uh, you know, it's a lot. Mm -hmm. It's it's a it's um, both figuratively and literally in this state. Um, all the arrows seem to be pointing up. Revenue seem to be going up. Spending's also going up. Are you at all worried, or is there any discussion in the caucus at all about hey? Let's let's also think about doing something that's sustainable when we're talking about, you know, maybe what an 80 billion ish dollar a year budget in the state of Washington. Is that part of the discussion? Absolutely. And so sustainability of our budgets is one of those core values that we look through when trying to pass our budget. And that's why you saw us uh, in 2021 make big investments in paying down pension liabilities from years in the past when the, the state legislature did not fully fund the obligations for public sector uh, retirement. Um, we've really tried to pay that down as one of those long-term obligations that we know costs us more money the longer we wait to pay it off. So we have tried to make some of those one-time investments to, to try to get ahead of those, um, you know, those, those difficult cost drivers in the long term. We, we want to be sure that uh, we're not outpacing, um, you know, outpacing revenue growth, but we also have to be sure that uh, both state employees and then vendors who, you know, for example, folks who run adult family homes um, are not being left behind by inflation. So there are costs, just like uh, family households see experience, you know, experience higher costs because of inflation, those vendors and therefore state government also experience some of those costs. So we have to make sure that we're keeping pace with inflation and that we're not outpacing the ability of, of, of the state to pay for the public services that we need. Do you anticipate any areas or if you received feedback of, man, I, I've had five people come up and talk to me about this. Do you see any major programmatic growth taking place in this session, or is it mostly going to be to address inflation, address sustainability, or no? We got some big, big ideas about programmatic growth. 
You know, I think a lot of the areas that, um, that may cost additional money do involve making sure that our existing public services are working better. So for example, uh, special education is one area that we've heard a lot of desire from school districts, from parents, from, from educators, from, um, from students uh, to see more investments. I don't know if I would consider that, uh, you know, a big growth. I would consider that doing better with things that we're already required to do. The behavioral health system is another example of that mm -hmm. where um, we, we really do need to invest more in order to ensure that that system can even work at all. Um, the status quo, it's just not really working for the people who are in greatest need of, of that care. Um, I say this tongue in cheek. We do record this show, so just, <laughs> just remember I might play this clip back someday and I'm just messing with you here. <laughs> um, if the Supreme Court, as you know, they're ruling on this case about whether or not capital gains are income mm -hmm. or not, if the Supreme Court comes back and says, nope, not income, you're perfectly free to, to, to tax capital gains, do you think that we're going to see a move for a state income tax in this session or possibly a subsequent session? I think that in, an income tax is a conversation that we would need a whole lot of buy-in for, and I don't see us doing that in really short order. I think we would need to have uh, you know, probably a long-term process, a long-term series of conversations before we figured out whether that was the right thing for our state, whether a corporate income tax or, or a personal income tax. I think it's more likely that you'll see us uh, be try to implement successfully the capital gains tax that we passed two years ago. Um, uh, but I don't think an income tax is the kind of thing you would ever see us um, pull out of a hat in a, in a, in a, in a session without a, a really robust public conversation. On the flip side of that, Supreme Court rules, yeah, it is income, you can't do it. Mm -hmm. um, what gets blown up by that? Has any of that money been kind of pre-spent and earmarked or what, what happens if that ruling comes? Well, that would lead to some pretty severe challenges in areas like childcare, um, behavioral health, um, those are some of the, child, ch expanding access to and affordability of childcare is something that we really prioritized when we passed the capital gains tax in 2021. And so that would be something that we would need to figure out um, uh, an alternative approaches for, whether that was uh, cuts to childcare or, um, or other revenue increases. Um, I hope that's not the situation that we're in, but we, um, you know, Access to childcare, unfortunately, would be the the, the thing that um, was most directly supported by by the capital gains tax, and that's where we would need to focus. I'm going to ask this on behalf of the folks yelling at their TV screen <laughs> when they watch this kind of a discussion. But um, we rank 11th in per capita spending in the state. Is there ever any discussion? Would you entertain one? Is there any room for an idea about reducing taxes? About rolling some property tax back to taxpayers if revenues keep going up? I don't think they're gonna. I think they're going to roll over, and you've got inflation to fight. Um, that's my view on it. But is that even part of the discussion? Can that be discussed in this world? Yeah, so we, so one of the things that we also did with the capital gains tax two years ago is we invested in the working families tax rebate to really make sure that the, the, the poorest Washingtonians, hardworking folks who um, just are are burdened by our regressive tax structure, which rests so heavily on the poorest people in our society, uh, we're, we're having some help from the state in making ends meet. I think that that is somewhere that we, we have tried to address um, the, the tax burden that falls most heavily on, on working people in our state. We have significant needs, and when we hear, you know, in terms of our public education system, higher education, you've heard me talk about child care, behavioral health, um, I think that we really want to be sure that the needs of the people of our state are being met, um, and that the people that we're asking to pay more, as we did with the capital gains tax, are the people who can most afford it. Philosophical question, is there ever enough money coming into state government? Um, I think that 
yes, we do have to make sure that we're, we're covering the needs of the people of our state. And there will never be an end to people telling us we think you should invest more in X or Y or Z. I think that uh, coming out of the last couple of years where we've gone a long way to try to, with, with one-time federal money to address one-time needs, we recognize that you know housing, homelessness, behavioral health, public education, um, we think, I think that we need to prioritize covering the, the most emergent needs uh, first and then um, but I, I, I there's certainly a time and place where we will feel like those needs have been met but I don't think that that's today yeah if there's a house on fire you're still gonna put water on it mm -hmm. here for a while um, some specific ideas coming out of the Democratic caucus increasing teacher and school staff pay again I might add with retention salary hikes and recruiting bonuses um, I think a lot of people probably say to myself my gosh we didn't clear we've done all I mean look what we've done in the state budget but Every industry is experiencing a retention and a recruiting problem. So what's the thought there? I think that's somewhere where we really need to focus in on the, the greatest need um, schools, the greatest need positions, and the ones where we're having the hardest time with recruitment and retention. There's no question any employer that you talk to is experiencing a workforce shortage right now. This is not unique to state government. It's um, you know Anybody who has had to hire somebody can tell you that it's harder to do that right now than it's been in a long, long time. So that's why I think we should really focus our efforts on those positions that are hardest to fill and that are make, have the greatest impact on, on student outcomes. Um, I think you know that that's where I think we need to focus because the the costs in the K twelve system are enormous. It's half the state budget is the K twelve system, mm -hmm. uh, and so so any increases there um, have a lot of zeros behind them. And so that's why I think we really need to to, to focus. Last question for you: We um, went through the process with the long term health care fund. Mm -hmm. It's always a nice idea to set up a fund, your market for it, to take some money, and everything should work great. Well, it didn't so much. But now we're talking about another fund, possibly the Watcher Washington Futures Fund, that does something like. Um, you know, four grand or so for the roughly half I was surprised to learn, 40,000 kids every year who qualify under Apple Care, which is the state's Medicaid um, program for kids, uh, doing another fund. What, are, what is the thinking behind that? Is, is that going to fly based on our experience with the long-term mm -hmm. care fund? What do you think? Yeah, I mean, it's an interesting idea that came out of our uh, our state treasurer. Uh, I, I think there's a couple questions that we're trying to work through before we commit on that. I think one is if the if the bonds are available to somebody who's born under um, Apple Health, um, what about somebody whose family falls into poverty after they're born? Mm -hmm. What about somebody who's born into poverty but then their family becomes very wealthy, right? Is, there's some fairness issues that I don't think we've fully um, resolved yet on that. Um, certainly there's a large cost there as well, and I think that those are some of the questions that we'll need to answer before we commit on that. I say with Washington Cares, the, the long-term care insurance, I do think that in the long run that's likely to be something that can save the state money um, as we can um, you know, have, have fewer folks relying on, on Medicaid to pay for their long-term care services. Washington State now has a $156 billion biannual budget with all the arrows for both projected spending and projected revenues going up, which seems fine for now. The bottom line, there are serious questions to ask about sustainability. And that's where the choices become increasingly stark when lawmakers make decisions about spending, taxation, and the ultimate size of the state's role in all of our lives.